Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? This week, I have been thinking a lot about art. In particular, it was sort of spurred on by Caroline Carraway, who is an Instagram influencer. And she started doing this thing where she has been recreating classic paintings, such as John William Waterhouse's Ophelia, but on her OnlyFans account. So it's kind of like a naughty R-rated version of a classical painting. Now, she's doing this to make money. You have to pay to see these photos. But it just kind of got me thinking about art and what art means during this time and in particular how people are making money off of it and just what art means in you know time of corona. Caroline Carraway is not the only person who is recreating famous paintings. This seems to have become a trend during corona times. Loads of Instagram accounts and loads of people have started doing this in their homes. They take a really famous Hopper painting and just recreate it in their own homes using what they've got around them. There are a few accounts. One's called Quarantine Art. The other one is by an art teacher called Holly Best Kincaid. And there is another account called COVID Classics. We'll include them in the links. But it's a really interesting phenomenon because why are people recreating these paintings in their homes? I think, first of all, it's because maybe they want to connect with culture. And the second thing is, it's kind of like a creative exercise, right? So, you know, how do I use what I've got in the home and transport? form it into a piece of art and have a conversation with another piece of art that came before me. It's a really creative sort of exercise. I think a lot of people, when you're really bored and you're at home, you're looking around at the objects in your home in a kind of different light. There's this thing called creative boredom. So you get so bored to the point that now your imagination and your creativity starts kicking in and you have to do something. And recreating paintings is difficult and these people are doing it really well. But it's almost like copying. When people start doing creative exercises, the first way that you learn is by copying other creative things a lot of the times. So it's not too difficult. It's a creative exercise, but it's not like you have to come up with a completely new concept or completely new thing. You're doing something that's doable, but difficult and concentrating your mind to deal with any anxiety and on the subject of everyday objects, the V&A, the museum in London, they are curating a museum of COVID-19 and telling the story of the crisis through everyday objects. Some of the objects are like, I don't know, toilet roll or handwritten signs that say, please keep your distance. But other things, for example, are hands-free doors um, and 3D printed face visors. It's kind of interesting with the hands-free doors because... I think one of the curators said, well, for years, people who have accessibility problems have been saying how hard it is to like open and close things with handles. And maybe that also has contributed to like a kind of new understanding about accessibility, the, the coronavirus. What really interested me about this article in The Guardian about the V&A, though, was that they have a thing called Rapid Response Collecting, which is an initiative that has just snapped up kind of really zeitgeisty objects. Because we're surrounded by the same things, but now we're really looking at them and taking the time and we haven't got as much input coming in at us. So we're seeing these objects anew. 
I think it's kind of cool that they put these objects in the museum. It reminds me of Duchamp's urinal, basically, that he put into a museum. This was a really important milestone in the art world because you take an everyday object and then you put it into a museum and it means that everyone's looking at it almost for the first time and it brings up a lot of questions about what is art. So everyday objects seems to be a sort of trend at this time. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about that because obviously we're all stuck in our homes, so we have to adapt with what we have. And a lot of museums have been doing virtual tours and they've sort of been trying to bring the art to our homes while we stay home. And in context of this, Jerry Saltz wrote a really interesting article for Vulture about the changes in the art world. He notes that the art world was already rocky for those who were not at the top of the food chain, and about how when he started off in the art world back in the 70s, it was a world of curators and owners of galleries, and they were all very friendly and down to earth, and there wasn't this corporate feel to the art world, and that he thinks that this is starting to disappear. So I was recently reading David Balzer's curationism and how curating took over the world and everything else and in this book he sort of mirrors a little bit what jerry was saying he talks about how in the 1990s there was sort of a shift in the art world and within the last 20 years it's shifted even more now you know with art museums having instagram accounts and you can like things and you can you know they're printing things on t-shirts and you can wear their slogans which isn't necessarily a bad thing art museums using any and all tools they have available to make money and keep going is a very good thing we should support art but he's sort of making the point that this is signifies the commercialization of art and here he points specifically to art basel in miami which he says was simply established because rich collectors live there. So they brought the art to them to sell more. And here we see the paradox of you need to sell art to live, but are we making art to sell it or are we making art to make art? And then I was reminded of the French saying, l'art pour l'art. Anyone who speaks French will correct me there. I'm sorry for butchering that, but it means art for art's sakes. I started thinking, so if we bring art to the people who can buy it. What is the point of that? Yes, it's enabling them to sell more art, but it also sort of automatically excludes a lot of people who can't make it there or who haven't made it to that level that they can pay to have their artwork flown to Miami so that rich people can buy it. And Simon Dunan, who is a fashion writer and creative ambassador for Barney's, he made a list of the eight worst things about the art world. And actually Art Basel Miami was the top of the list. And Canadian artist Bill Burns compared it to shopping at Christmas. He is the artist who put up the giant sign on the Tate Modern in London saying Hans Ulrich Obris pray for us. And he also did something similar at Art Basel Miami where he had planes with banners flying overhead that sort of had similar pleas. And he was just emphasizing that you're nobody in the art world unless the right people notice you. And so Jerry Seltz points out in his article that it's often these smaller galleries who showcase up and coming talent. And even before Corona, they were finding it difficult to survive. You know, for financial reasons, they can't always fly to all these fairs. I can't go to Art Basel, Miami. The fear is that with Corona, this divide is becoming even bigger, that these galleries won't survive because now they've had to shut down. And, you know, how long is this shutdown going to last? And most of them don't have the financial means to stay open that long. And the Wall Street Journal actually reported that most performing arts organizations don't have the reserves to last for more than a month. And so I was just sort of meditating on this idea of the exclusivity of the art world. And I was thinking about my own education. I went to the new school and Parsons cost 46 
thousand a year. That's 184,000 for a four-year art degree. Likewise, Central St. Martins in London costs 9,000 for home students and 15,000 for international students. And the Royal Academy of Art in London is similar for home students and costs 29,000 for overseas students. Art schools are actually incredibly important. Not to say that you can't make it big in the art world if you don't have the right education, but oftentimes that's where you make the right connections. You do externships while you're in school, which are, like it or not, who you know is incredibly important. I'm reminded of a quote from the amazing movie Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez, where she says, it's not what you have, it's who you know and what they have. And of course that's true in the art world, just like it is true in any other industry. Last week, the San Francisco Art Institute announced that there would be no incoming fall class. This is the first time in 150 years that this has happened. So this means that there's going to be an entire generation of artists who are going to be missing out on making these connections or slowed down from making these connections. And along with the demise of these small galleries that can't support them, this sort of emphasis put on new and emerging artists is sort of being eroded away through corona. And I guess his fear is that the only people who are going to survive are auction houses because they're mainly online. And they also deal with really big established artists. Actually, in 2017, a Jean-Michel Basquiat painting sold for 110.5 million, which is the highest selling American artist. But Jean-Michel died in 1988. Who's getting the money from this? What does that mean for the art world? These auction houses making commissions, selling these paintings that are 30 years old for so much money doesn't really help the up and coming art world. It also doesn't help young artists who actually legitimately have something to say and want to make a difference in the world. And I think that all of these digital things like people making art online or what you were talking about before, it's great for visibility and for bringing in interests for the different museums and for the different artists, but there's no real money in it. And not to say that art is about money, but also at the same time, people still have to live. And like it or not, money is the way that we show appreciation and give value in the world. These museums that are doing these virtual online tours, they still have to pay their staff. They can't pay their staff with attention. And then there's also the fact that the largest collection of art in the world belongs to Deutsche Bank. They have over 60,000 pieces of artwork and they produce their own art magazine. So what does it mean when the art world has and is sort of taking this massive shift towards commercialization? I actually disagree with the Salter article slightly. Or I think there's another way of looking at the changes that coronavirus has brought in. Just like everything with the coronavirus, there are two ways of looking at it. So it's like, are we going to go in one direction even stronger, like, you know, more capitalistic? Or if we take the example of like galleries compared to mega institutions or small restaurants compared to fast food chains, you know, who's going to survive and what model are we going for? Yeah, you can look at it in one way. The divide between two classes of people gets wider or after corona, maybe the landscape will democratize slightly. And I think this idea of art for art's sake is being practiced now more than ever. So Jess Johnson, the artist, said, and I quote, so many artists, myself included, produce artwork with an outcome in mind, such as an exhibition or a career step, and removing the outcome can perhaps free us to experiment and create art that connects us to the universalities of being human as opposed to 
and in quote, professional artists operate within the structures of a commercial art world. And with the coronavirus, we're seeing so many more people who normally don't have any time or the space to create artworks, you know, who are rushing around in the rat race or like just really busy, who have this time and stillness to stop. And then they're becoming creative, like all these Instagram artists. And because, like, you bring up Art Fair Basel, well, the Hong Kong edition was cancelled, and Art Fair Basel's going to be cancelled, and all these big fairs like Freeze are going to be cancelled. And that very commercial, elitist kind of model of the art world, which only a few people are... I think in some article it said only 1,500 people really in the art world decide who or what work is good and what work isn't. And only really artists who have been to art school and could have afforded that education and therefore can gain those contacts can even come into consideration. According to Jeffrey Deitch, who's got galleries in Los Angeles and New York, the online version of Art Basel that was created, according to him, it was so dry and stiff. And what's missing is when you're in a booth looking at something and having a friend pass and say, oh, you're looking at that? I bought one of those too. And he says it's the social commentary that activates sales. So this is a very commercial kind of world. And all the artists are great. This is not about the artists. This is just the commercialization of art and the art world right now. And without Art Fair Basel, without Freeze, and with everyone creating in a more decentralized way, I think we could get to a really more democratic model. And I think we could involve a lot more people in this world who thought that previously it was shut off to them. And we were saying, like in the money episode, where are the working class writers? Well, they're working, they don't even have time to make art. But now quite a lot of people have had time to make art. And it's such a fundamental process for human beings. And it's a shame that not many people get the chance to do it. I think it's great what's happening. And a lot of really great artists, like Jeppy Hine, who's a Berlin-based uh, artist, he's doing on Instagram Live this Breathe With Me project. So he's doing these workshops which make people concentrate on the breath and it's a mindful approach to painting or drawing he's offering that out for free and he also released online like a sort of a manual for his breathe with me series and then damien hurst for example created a filter for snapchat for his spin paintings so anyone could who uses snapchat can take the filter make their own spin painting in his style which is sort of interactive. And all the proceeds of that will go to a health charity. Likewise, the recent Banksy painting, which shows a boy who has thrown away like superhero figures in the bin and is playing with a new superhero figure who is a nurse. That's going to be sold off and all the proceeds will go to charity too. So the art world is doing good there. And then Sam Winston, who did this project a little while ago where he spent 672 hours in darkness in 2018, so basically one whole month living and drawing in complete darkness, during which he painted three big drawings. He's now made a kind of online manual for people to get creative by just kind of sitting in dark spaces and creating poetry or drawings. So people can have the same immersive experience that he had, 
and create their own artwork, which is just really beautiful. And as part of this, really famous writers like Bernadine Evaristo, who won the Man Booker Prize for Girl, Woman, Other. If you haven't read it, it's really good. I really recommend it. She took part in this experiment too. What really delights her about it is the unpredictability of it. And again, it's unpredictability is something that artists are always working with. And when you step out of the commercial, do I sell this? Do I become famous with this? You just have this great idea and then you just make something and you do it for its own sake and its own process and you just see how it turns out and you discover something and you delight in it. And what I thought was really interesting about the Sam Winston project is called A Delicate Sight. It's based on a term in optometry which is dark adaption which means that your eye adjusts to different levels of light the longer you spend in darkness. And for us in corona times we're spending more time sort of in dark, well, in a metaphorical darkness. So we don't have as much inputs from, you know, going out a lot of, like, we're not consuming a lot of stuff. So then, again, we go back to the idea of, like, creative boredom. We start seeing things anew and using our imagination. And what is art if it's not just going deep into your subconscious, into the darkness, and bringing something forth into the light? So I really liked what you were saying about social interactions at art fairs because I was recently watching the Chelsea Handler house tour that she did for, I think it was AD. And while she's doing it, she points to a statue in her house, which she admits that she just bought because she had been at an art fair. And she was like, well, I can't go to an art fair and not buy something. So she purchased this piece of art for the sake of purchasing a piece of art. And I don't know if I think that the art world is going to not survive because I think it definitely will. And I can see your point about the democratization of the art world and that now, you know, everyone can make art and everyone's at home and everyone has the time to make art. But I think that the big worry is just that the visibility aspect of it, who gets visibility? Because yeah, we live in a time of social media and of the internet where anyone can post their art online, which is great. And it's wonderful if everyone sees your art and I love that people are being creative, but What does it mean if artists are creating these wonderful things and then when this is all over, they have to go back to their nine to five jobs where they can, you know, barely make enough money to survive? And all of these institutions that have supported up and coming artists or provided them with connections have disappeared and only these large museums and art fairs and auction houses are left over. There are artists who legitimately have something to say, who have political voices, who are trying to make a difference in the world. They will always exist. I'm just worried that Corona will make it harder for them to be heard and harder for them to gain access to resources. To wrap things up, I just wanted to quote Jerry Saltz because I thought this was a good reminder about what art is. He says, Art isn't about professionalism, efficiency, insurance and safety. It's about eccentricity, risk, resistance and adaption. So no matter what happens, I'm sure the artists and the art world will continue to adapt, as they always have. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsession with us. Tweet us. I am at Rina underscore Grobe underscore and Madvi is at Madvi Romani. You will find links to our Twitter and Instagrams in our show notes, as well as links to all the content we have discussed this week. Until next time, thank you for listening.